0: Good evening now tonight we're starting a new book, and uh, I have to say, I'm not sure if it's a good thing to have a favorite book in the Bible, but if if it is, then John's Gospel will be it so um there's something about john's gospel it is it doesn't have a lot of big words. Somebody said one time, the Gospel of John has a vocabulary of 600 words, which is the vocabulary of a seven-year-old child. And yet it is, in some ways, the most profound book in the Bible. And it has depths that um, are take a lifetime, and more than that, to... Uh, to understand, and of course, we can only understand it through the Holy Spirit. Now, I would like to read the first 18 verses of uh, John's Gospel. I only made a very simple outline. I was thinking of expanding it, but an outline is supposed to make things simpler, right? So, if you make it too big, then people are going to tune out. So, I wanted it to be on one page, but I'll add a few things to some of the outline uh, when I when I talk about it. So, so we'll read first uh, John one, verse one to eighteen. <clears throat> in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world, or better translation, That was the true light which coming into the world gives light to every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now John is one of the four Gospels, and um, I remember my father, before he was saved, that he always wondered why there was not just one story of Jesus in the Bible. But when he got saved, he found out by what he heard that each of the Gospels shows a different side of the Lord Jesus. And as most of you know, Matthew's Gospel describes the Lord Jesus as the King of Israel. Mark emphasizes the Lord Jesus as the true servant of God. Uh, Luke's Gospel emphasizes the the humanity of the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus as the Son of Man. But John's Gospel describes and emphasizes the Lord Jesus as the Son of God. And so, for example, in John's Gospel, you don't find his birth. What it does say is that, for example, in, in verse 14, the Word became flesh. And in verse 1, it tells us about who the Word is. It's really God himself. The Son of God became flesh. No, he, he came into the world. We don't come into the world. We are born flesh. But the Son of God, he came into the world. The incarnation. You see, Matthew describes him as a king. The birth of a king is important. And then Luke's gospel, the man he is also described his birth is described that belongs to human beings. The servant Mark does not describe does not mention his birth because the the birth of a slave of a servant is not really important and so each of the gospels has a different uh, views the Lord Jesus from a different angle now about the gospel of uh, John, who wrote the Gospel of John now it says Uh, uh, John himself describes himself five times as the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, the early church fathers, uh, such as Clement, Theophilus of Antioch, Irenaeus, and Tertullian, they give clear testimony to the fact that John the Apostle wrote this gospel. And so... From earliest time, it was pretty well undisput- indisputable that John the Apostle, one of the twelve apostles of the Lord Jesus, that he wrote this uh, gospel. Now, this account of the gospel. We should not really say John's gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ according to John and according to Matthew and according to Mark. So don't really, we should not really call it the gospel of John. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus or the gospel of God. And, uh, and so it wasn't until about the 1800s when you get, had so-called uh, critis- criticism of of the liberal theologians that's who started to uh, doubt the authorship of, uh, of John. And uh, also, it's very clear when you go through the gospel of John, a gospel according to John, that John writes as an eyewitness. Now, this is very important. It's very important. For example, in verse 14 of this chapter, he says, We beheld his glory. John, he was an eyewitness. He does the same in his epistles. When he starts off in 1 John 1.1, That which we have seen, that which was from the beginning, which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have handled, of the word of life. So he was an eyewitness. And then chapter 19, John stood there at the cross, and he says there in John 19, verse 35, and when after the the soldier pierced his side, and he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. So he's very emphatic about being an eyewitness. And then chapter 21 verse 24 says, This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, I just want to say this. How do we know that the gospel is true? That the Bible is is coming from God? That this gospel is directly coming from God? Not because you feel it in your heart. That is not enough proof, but it's because of eyewitness testimony, because of it it being a historical fact. And so the historical uh, eyewitness account is all important for the veracity of Scripture. Now, the Gospel of John, most commentators believe it was written between 85 and 85. In 95 of the first century. Um, He wrote this from the city of Ephesus. As a matter of fact, one of the church fathers said that John lived to to the reign till the reign of Trajan, or Trajan, I don't know how you say that, and he started reigning in 98. So he lived till at least 98, and that's why we believe that John became around. 90, 95 years old. So he was very old. And so he wrote that from Ephesus. And most likely he wrote that in the last 15 years of his life. And so it could be that John was actually the last book of the Bible that was written. So it's either John or Revelation. But we know that John uh, saw his vision of Revelation on the Isle of Patmos. So if he came back from there... Did he write John after that, or did he write John before he went to Patmos? We're not quite sure about this, but it was definitely towards the end of the first century. So this gospel was written after the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in AD 70. And so uh, this gospel does not have as many quotes from the Old Testament as the other three gospels. However... When you read it, it has a Jewish, a very Jewish um, flavor to it. And so while the, the Gospel of John, like the rest of the New Testament, is written in Greek, it is written like it is in Hebrew document. And so John, he refers a lot to events in the Old Testament, especially the five books of Moses. There is multiple references and a and, uh, uh, background to the Old Testament and especially uh, Genesis till Deuteronomy. Now, another thing that John is different on than um, the other three uh, accounts, which are sometimes called the synoptical gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and that is that John doesn't just mention a whole bunch of miracles, John mentions seven miracles before the crucifixion and one after, which the one after was only seen by his disciples. And he doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs. Signs. Now, a sign is a miracle with a message. And so John, very specifically, he picks out these seven signs to convey a message. And... Uh, you find the first one in John chapter 2, where John very specifically says in verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. So John is very specific. Another thing that is very unique to John's gospel is that most of the stories in John's gospel revolve around individuals. For example, the story of Nicodemus, you don't find that anywhere else, only in John's gospel. Same with the Samaritan woman in chapter 4. Same with uh, the man that was lame at the pool of Bethesda in chapter 5. And uh, the, the man that was born blind in chapter 9. And the story of Lazarus, uh, his, uh, his uh, resurrection, and so on. So while the Son of God, who is so awesome and great, he's so awesome and beyond us, he came down here and he's interested in individuals like us. That should really encourage us. That's amazing. And so as we go through this gospel, you know, we want to learn for, for also for our hearts. And you want to, uh, if there's any book in the Bible where you should be able to worship the Lord Jesus for and worship God for, it's, it's John's gospel. Of course, the whole Bible is like that. But John's gospel, we want to definitely recognize Uh, the beauties of Christ. Another thing that is very uh, dominant in the Gospel of John, the Gospel according to John, is the Old Testament feasts. As a matter of fact, the reason why we think, we know, that the Lord's ministry was about three, three and a half years is completely based upon what John says about the three Passovers. That's about the only, pretty well the only main reason why we think that the ministry of the Lord Jesus was about three, three and a half years because three Passovers were mentioned and so that takes in about three years. And so that is based upon the Gospel of John. Also, the Gospel, the Feast of Tabernacles is mentioned in chapter 7. And then there is uh, some of the other Jewish feasts like uh, the Feast of Dedication, which is Hanukkah. And uh, and also, um, uh, some sometimes it just says a feast of the Jews, so it is not quite certain which feast it is. So the feasts of the Old Testament are are very they're emphasized in this gospel. Now there are a number of words which are very emphatic, and, and mentioned quite a bit. They're key words in the Gospel of John. For example, the word belief or believed is mentioned 100 times. So believe. As a matter of fact, the purpose of writing for John is in John chapter 20, uh, verse 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the very purpose why John wrote this gospel was to spread the gospel, was to tell the gospel. And so it's very scriptural if you have this little booklet of the gospel of John, if you give that out because it actually has the purpose that people might believe and come to know the Lord Jesus as, your, as their savior. So the word belief is, uh, is mentioned 100 times. Another Uh, Other key words are father, the father. The Lord Jesus addressed his God as his father, mentioned 118 times. The word world is mentioned 78 times. And then also words like love and life and light. Another thing that is mentioned many times, I counted it years ago, and I came to 41 And that is the fact that the Father sent the Son, or God God sent his Son. So it's not just that he came, but he was actually sent by the Father. And so those are some of the key uh, words and key concepts in in the gospel according to John. Um, Let Now, another thing is that I noticed many years ago is that the Lord's deity shines forth more in John's account than in the other three accounts. And there's an emphasis on his omniscience or his all-knowing, the fact that he knows all things, because that's really an an attribute that belongs to God. And so you see that, for example, in our chapter here in verse 48, when Nathanael comes to him, And uh, the Lord Jesus says to Nathanael in verse 47, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the victory, victory, I saw you. His omniscience, he knows everything. And so that is a beautiful thing about the Lord Jesus Another thing that is very unique in John's gospel is that there are many occasions where the Lord says something that totally mystifies his hearers, totally mystifies them. And so at those moments, the Lord Jesus, he expresses his glory through profound words that can only be understood by the believing heart in fellowship with him. And so, for example, in chapter 2, verse 19, you see there a profound statement. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And his, his hearers are, what's he saying? Well, he, they completely misunderstand him. They don't understand him. But the Lord Jesus, at that moment, he says something about himself, about his death that was to come, which the Lord Jesus prophesied. And he says something as well. He says that his body is a temple. So he reveals something very profound about himself, which his hearers totally don't misunderstand. And the Lord Jesus, at least in the text, doesn't clarify it either. He just leaves it as it is. And the only ones that will understand it are his faithful followers, and then probably only after the resurrection when they receive the Holy Spirit. And there's many of such examples. Another one in John three thirteen, when he says to Nicodemus, No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. It's a very profound statement. Or, for example, which is a beautiful example, in John 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He reveals his glory. He reveals his glory. And his hearers, they respond with either total bewilderment or anger or misunderstanding or all of it. And the Lord Jesus leaves that statement standing as is. Now, if you go to the Old Testament, whenever, and it seems to be in many cases, the Lord Jesus said those statements when he knew there would be a response of unbelief. You go to the Old Testament When did God's glory appear? When the people sinned. And when they were arguing with Moses and God's glory came. And filled the tabernacle. At the moment when unbelief was shown. God reveals and he shows his cloud. His his glory. And it fills the tabernacle. And so we see many examples like that. Of the deity of the Lord Jesus. And... um, um, Now, there are a number of sevens in this book. Uh, As most of you know, the seven I Ams, I am the bread of life, chapter 6. I am the light of the world, chapter 8. I am the door, chapter 10. The good shepherd, chapter 10. I am the resurrection and the life, chapter 11. I am the way, the truth, and the life, chapter 14. And I am divine, chapter 15. Seven times, a lot of sevens. Another one, the father loves the son. Mentioned seven times or similar wording. Uh, There is a sevenfold testimony concerning the son. John testified of him, chapter 5. His works, the Lord's works, testified of him. The father testified of him. And the scriptures testify of him. That's all in chapter 5, the first four. Then chapter 8, the son himself, he testifies of himself. The spirit of truth, chapter 15 and the, and the disciples, they were going to be his witnesses as well. Sevenfold testimony concerning the Lord Jesus. Now, um, <clears throat> the outline is very basic, I guess. Chapter 1 to 18 is the coming of the Son of God. It's the coming of, of God himself, the Son, in the person of the Son. And then, verse 19 to 34, we find there the presentation Of the Messiah. By the prophet that the Lord Jesus called in Matthew 11. The greatest that was born among women. So positionally John was the greatest prophet. And what do we see here? We see as it were through the person of John. The Baptist. We see through the person of John the Baptist. The whole Old Testament prophets. The testimony of all the Old Testament Presenting the Son of God. And John saying um, that he is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. John, he draws all the attention away from himself, all to, to the Lord Jesus. And so that's the presentation of the Messiah to Israel. And then we find that verse 35 to fifty one we find then the first disciples of the Lord Jesus, and then if you go in chapter two, you find see when you think of the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus presented in chapter one as the creator through him all things were made, all things were made through him, but he's also the redeemer of exodus, and so in and he's the God of Israel, as you see in these in these uh, Uh, in this chapter. For example, in verse 3 of chapter 1, it says, All things were made or became through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. That's the God of creation. That's the the creator of the book of Genesis. Verse 14, The word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory. That's the God of Israel, the God of the book of Exodus. He came and dwelled among his people. That's emphasized in Exodus. And we find out it is really the Son of God Himself. Then in, chapter, in verse 29, He is the Lamb of the book of, the true Lamb of the book of Leviticus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All the Old Testament sacrifices pointed forward to this Lamb. The Lamb of the book of, of Leviticus. And then, verse 32. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. That reminds us of the cloud of the Old Testament that came upon the tabernacle. And what do we see then? Just like the Old Testament, like the the Israelites, they followed the cloud. Wherever the cloud went, that's where they went. And so here we see in verse 35, when that testimony and the Holy Spirit came upon him, we see then that disciples follow him. And they ask, "What? Where do you? Where are you staying? Where do you dwell?" Where the cloud went, that's where the Israelites went. Where the Lord Jesus went, that's where the disciples went. He's the book. He's the God. He is the God of the cloud of the book of Numbers. And then in uh, verse, let me see now. 45, Philip says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now where did Moses write about him? The most clear verses that he wrote about the Lord Jesus was in Deuteronomy 18. The prophet that shall come. To him you shall listen. Him you will hear. And so he is the God of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And now you come in chapter 2, the first portion. And there you find the, the crown upon creation was the creation of man. And what did God institute for man? Marriage. Marriage. And so in this section then you find... In order to have a joyful marriage, of which wine is a picture, you need to invite the Lord Jesus. Without him, marriage is not what it's intended to be. And so, when you invite the Lord Jesus to a marriage, then you get blessed. Then in the second portion of chapter 2, the crown of the book of Exodus and the journey of God with Israel It started with the Passover, which became the beginning of the calendar of of Israel. And it was God's purpose, as it says in Deuteronomy 12, that that the Israelites would find a place where God would place his name. And that eventually became Jerusalem, where the temple was built in the days of Solomon. And David found that place. Now, what do we find in this section? We find there the Passover of the Jews, and we find here a temple. Just like marriage is to creation, so the Passover and the temple are to redemption for the Jews. And so here in the first section of chapter 2, what is emphasized is the blessing that God wants to be for human beings. But in the second portion, what is emphasized is the rights of God upon men and especially upon his people. And so the Lord Jesus enters this temple and he, um, he claims there this temple for God. And now, these, these two lines the, God's presence in blessing upon men, and God's presence claiming his rights of men, those two lines are followed through the whole Gospel of John. God has, wants to dispense blessing through his son, and he wants to receive his rightful worship through the Son as well. Now then you come to chapter 3. Chapter 3 answers to the last section of chapter 2. In chapter 3 you find a man, Nicodemus, who was the teacher of Israel. He was the most privileged man amongst a very privileged class, amongst the most privileged nation. And yet he does not have life. He needs the new birth. And the Lord tells him how. And it's only through him. Then in chapter 4, you find a woman that has abused the institution of marriage. She had five husbands. The one she now has is not her husband. She has experienced marriage apart from God, and she's found wanting. And so the Lord Jesus comes in the picture. And he, she has not found life. And the Lord Jesus comes in the picture, and he offers her the water of life. The water of life. So, a religion without Christ is empty, just like Nicodemus would have found out. And enjoying the, na- the, the blessings of creation, apart from God, leaves a person wanting and unfulfilled. And so, then you come in chapter 5 to 7, You find there the emphasis of the Lord Jesus as life. He is life. Notice that the first section starts off with a story that ends with where the Lord Jesus says, sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. So I take it that uh, that man was sick for 38 years because of his sin. That's the way I take it from that book, from that chapter. Now, where do we else do we find 38 years in the Old Testament? God led the, led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and He would have led them. He would have led them right into the land of Canaan, if they had believed the spies, and the whole journey would have taken two years. And what happened? They did not believe the spies, and the Lord said, "You shall be in the desert for a full total 40 years, 38 years extra than necessary." because of unbelief, because of sin. And so then, chapter 5 to 7 emphasizes the provision of God, the provision of life. And so the rest of chapter 5, you find that life is in the Son. Life is in the Son. He has life in himself. Chapter 6 then introduces to us the true manna which God provided to the the children of Israel in the wilderness, the manna, the bread from heaven. It's the Lord Jesus himself. And then in chapter 8 and chapter 7, you find there the water of life which the Lord Jesus uh, would give through the Holy Spirit. And so we need true bread and we need true water in order to sustain life in the wilderness. And that life is only through his son. Then chapter 8 to chapter 12 emphasizes the Lord Jesus as the light. There again, it starts, that section starts out with the story of a woman that has sinned. And what does the Lord Jesus say at the end of that story? He says, verse 11 of chapter 8, Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. See here, when, when you think of the Lord Jesus, the light And you think about his holiness. God shines his light upon us and reveals our sin. And so what does the Lord Jesus, what does this story show? That the law has been violated and yet the Lord Jesus extends grace. And then you find the rest of the chapter, chapter 8, the revelation of the light of the true I am. God himself is the true I am, the I am that I am of Exodus chapter 3. Then in chapter 9, you find there the contrast. God is light and man is in darkness. And that man, he finds life, he finds light. I should say, he finds light. And then in chapter 10, God wants to take this man who has found light and he wants to lead him through the wilderness of life as the good shepherd. And that's what God did with his light in the Old Testament. And then in chapter 11, you find that God ultimately gives not only life, but the light of life. And so, and then in chapter 12, you find there the contrast between uh, what man was looking for to to, uh, put themselves up, but the Lord Jesus was uh, talking about the fact that he would go to the cross to be able to give all that blessing to us. And then chapter, of course, chapter 13 to chapter 17, we have the most of that story is about the upper room ministry. And we find there the Lord Jesus presented as love. Christ is love. And then, of course, from 18 till the end of the book is the betrayal, death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, we only have five minutes. I think it is our intention to... Make these Bible studies more participatory. So, but I gave an, an outline. So the next time uh, we'll make those uh, how you call that introduction a lot shorter, and there's going to be more participation. So we did that with a gospel, with a book of Revelation, because it's more difficult to participate in this. But in this book, it uh, I, I'm pretty sure there's lots of comments. Uh, that can be given on this beautiful book. Anybody has any, any uh, anything to say? Perhaps maybe since there's only five minutes left. Any other comments about the general section, uh, the general, general comments about the book of John, or perhaps even about chapter 1, or perhaps about the first few verses of this chapter?